What's up, beautiful beings? Welcome back to the show. This is the Mind Body Mentor podcast, and I'm your host, Stephen Jaggers. On today's beautiful episode, I chat with a good brother and new friend of mine, uh, Rob Dial. Rob's been staying in Sedona for the past couple months due to the whole coronavirus thing, and uh, we've had some great times. But on this podcast, I ask him a lot of really potent questions um, around business and what things he would focus on right now if he were to restart his business. He is a sales expert. Um, His business model is replicable for any other business that you're trying to run. So I know you guys will find a lot of value in this podcast. The beginning is about kind of his journey with psychedelics and how that's helped him um, evolve his business and figure out kind of where the uh, the leaks are in his system. Uh, but the second half, we get into very specific questions around social media, around marketing, around sales, all of that stuff. Um, and I think you will enjoy. So tune in, let me know what you think. And uh, as always, if you can leave me a review, that is always greatly appreciated. I love each and every one of you. So I'm here with my good brother, Rob Dial. Rob um, runs the Mindset Mentor podcast on iTunes. Um, I think you're in iTunes top 100, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes. Um, back and forth. It's like back top and forth, yeah. top 200. Yeah, <laughs> I'm in there. Anyways, he's got you know a wealth of knowledge when it comes to business, mindset, and um, mastery. So Rob's been kind of held captive here in Sedona for the uh, past. Best, best captivity. <laughs> we've, <ever> been <laughs> we've been holding him captive here in Sedona for the past couple months. Um, not by his choice, of course. But uh, what has been like your biggest takeaway of the experience here in Sedona? Dude, I, I think the biggest takeaway is just like relaxing. You know, for me, mm. it's, I, I keep saying I've been lucky enough where my business grew a lot over the past few months because we were in a growth stage anyways. And then we just, it just kind of all hit at one time. So we did really well, um, during this time, which, uh, as we were talking about right before this started, normally I'm like, uh, I'm a control freak. So before I did yeah. ayahuasca the first time, I had no idea I was a control freak. And then I did it. And I was like, Oh, okay. That's my <laughs> issue. That's what's holding me back from like my next level. Mm. And so for me, it's been like, releasing and just trusting. So I hired my best friend to be my director of sales on my team. And, you know, I've trained thousands of salespeople and millions of dollars in sales. Like when I was, I started in Cutco at 19. And so we sold knives in people's house. I, by the time I was mm. 20, 23, I trained over 2000 sales reps. And so like, I know sales in and out, but yeah. to be able to step back and allow him to just take full control of it mm. so I can do my thing in my business um, and just kind of like the allowing and the releasing, um, Sedona's really helped with that where when I'm in home in Austin, it's like, go, 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 like work, work, work. And then, you know, when you're in quarantine and luckily here in Sedona, it hasn't been that bad. Like you could still go out and land and you could still be in nature. And so it's been real slow, not a lot of people. And I think that it's been helping me like release control of my business in certain aspects of it Mm -hmm. so that I can hire people in place to do that. So learning from nature is my biggest thing, you know? Mm. So I've been learning a lot. I always am, but just being here in Sedona and learning from it 
and then taking that and putting it into my business. So as far as like, you know, you are a person that takes action over and over and over mm-hmm. again, a very yang personality. Mm-hmm. Was it the ayahuasca that was kind of the turning point mm-hmm. that allowed, that showed you that, Hey, person. you need to go inward. You need to be able to receive, you need to be able to step back, surrender and just allow. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll tell you real quick about my let's, first Let's go into that. So, so I had never done any psychedelics in my entire life. Uh, up until ayahuasca three years ago. So that was your first, ago, first psychedelic ever. Oh my God. That's um, just stepping into the big leagues. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who was it? Uh, I think it was Dr. Dan Ingle. I spoke with him and he's like, you know, you can learn how to swim by being dropped in the middle of the ocean, but you could swim in like the kiddie pool. And I was like, yeah, I didn't know that there was like, a <laughs> I didn't know, you know, I should have, I should have gone to the kiddie pool and done some like, you know, a little bit of mushrooms and a little bit more, a little bit more. So like when it hit me, the first time, man, like I was actually outside with my now director of sales, Dean. We were outside. We took the first cup, took the second cup, and then the, the shaman came up to me. He's like, do you feel anything? And we were in Florida, and we were supposed to be outside for the for the ceremony, but there was a lot of um, uh, mosquitoes because it had rained the night before. Oh, yeah. So we didn't go to that property we were supposed to go to. So we went to you know the guy's house. And, um, I mean, this wasn't Miami. This was in another country. This is, you know, it was in a country where it's legal. We'll say that, right. It wasn't quote unquote in America. So we were outside. He's like, go outside, put your feet in the ground, you know, connect all that stuff. And I felt this feeling of like, you know, the takeoff feeling. I was like, Oh, Oh, something's different. Like, I don't know what's going on. Strap in. So I walk into the, I walk into the, into the place, his place. And I was like, maybe I got to take a shit. I was like, so let me walk to the bathroom. So I'm walking in the bathroom and it's like, it's getting farther away the closer I get to it. It's like long hallway. And I'm like, oh my God, maybe I need to take a shit. So I sit down. And as I sit down to take a shit, the entire floor is like a million little teeny tiny eyeballs. And I was like, oh my God, like I've never experienced anything like this in my life. So I like clean up the best that I can, wash my hands. Uh, I remember they said, don't look at yourself in the mirror because you might have like an existential crisis if you do. So I'm like, I'm trying not to look at myself. I'm trying to look at my hands, which are not even moving correctly, you know? And, uh, and I, I opened the door to the bathroom and our other friend Ryan was there and he goes, hey, man, 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 man. And it was getting, he said, man, one time it was looping and getting higher. I could hear, feel it circling around my head. And I was like, oh my fucking God, I don't know what's going on. So I lay down on my yoga mat and I was like, gone like another dimension stuff I've never seen and so my whole thing was like I'm gonna go in and surrender cool yeah that's great until you go through it I say to people it's like it's like being like yeah I'm gonna be calm and then you get pushed off the Empire State Building it's like you're not gonna be calm like it's try try to be calm and so for me I was fighting it and fighting it even though I didn't consciously realize I was fighting it you know and uh and so I was fighting it I was fighting I was fighting it and uh and eventually it got to the point where it was like, I was literally in hell. And that was the moment mm. that I realized like, I already, I feel like I consciously knew like you create your own heaven and hell, but like I experientially knew I was in my own hell. And I was like, it was so bad. It was the worst hour and a half of my entire life. By far, nothing's ever come anywhere near it. And that's why ayahuasca scares the shit out of me still to this day, even though I've done it four more times. Um, and then the thought came into my mind of, I was, I was upside down and I was like laying on the ground and like, I was trying to grip reality. Like I was trying to like find reality, you know, you're trying to grip it. I was, (laughs) I was, I was like trying to find something that seemed like reality because 
when my eyes were closed, I was completely in a different place. But when I opened my eyes, I wasn't even in the same place. So mm. when I opened my eyes and for people who haven't done ayahuasca, this is like one of the worst stories I've heard from the beginning. Like usually people, it's like softer and sweeter and nicer and it kind of welcomes you in. And then after mm. it gets you, it'll start giving you lessons. Mine was like from the very first second. And, um, and, uh, and literally it was, I opened my eyes and I was in like an egg and there was nobody else there. And the shaman plays this like beautiful native American flute and I could hear the flute and I could see him dancing in front of me, but he was like a black and white cloud of smoke, like, like a flame kind of that was in front of me. But everybody else who was there originally was not there. And so it freaked me out because my my eyes closed, that was way different, but my eyes open, not even in the you same place. You were not place. even there, yeah. Not even in the same place at all. So then I tried to like touch my yoga mat and find the edges of it, but when I touched it, it like melted across the entire egg that I was in and it was like gone. Mm. And so, so it was like I was fighting, I was fighting for like probably I guess an hour and a half and I was like in hell. And then I was face down and I thought to myself, did I just shit my pants? Like I thought that cause we're all wearing white. Right. Yeah. And I did not want to shit my pants in front of 13 other people. Right. So, <laughs> and I went and, and good, good. I can tell you now I didn't shit my pants, which was great. I might've just farted. Who knows? Or maybe it was just a feeling. I don't know yeah. what happened, but, uh, but I went, all right, if I get to shit my pants in front of 13 other people right now, I'll do it. Like if I need to surrender that hard, I'll, I'll shit my pants. Like, cause like nothing's more embarrassing than shitting your pants in front of a bunch of people yeah. wearing all white. And, and surrendering, uh, surrendering your bodily function right, too. Right. A hundred percent. Like just giving up complete control. And when I thought that thought, it was just like, I went into like a fairy tale and it was like beautiful. The rest of the night was fucking amazing. That was the point of letting it go. It was like the point of like, you have a control problem. And so then I asked it. So then I said, you know, and that's when like the higher self, God, the universe, whatever it is that comes through you at that point where you, I was asking it questions and immediately knew the answer before the question was even finished. I was like, why did I have to go through that? And it was like, you have a control problem. And I was like, why do I have a control problem? And my intention, just to, to tell you going into it, was I want to get past any emotional baggage, any emotional residue that I'm still holding on from my father's death. That was my intention going into it. Hmm. So when I asked, you know, ayahuasca mother, whatever it was, why did I have to go through that? It said, you have a control problem. And I said, why do I have a control problem? And it said, you have a control problem because if you were to attach one word to your entire childhood, it was uncertainty because my dad was an alcoholic. So like mm. didn't know when he would come home, when he did come home, didn't know if he'd be drunk when he was drunk, didn't know what would happen. We called the cops on him many times, like issues and issues. He must set the house on fire. Like shit was just all over the place. And I was not in control. And so it said like your entire childhood was uncertainty. And so you have developed systems in your life to make certainty in everything. And that requires you controlling every aspect, but you also trying to control everybody else around you. And if you continue, that's going to mess up all of your relationships because relation people inherently bring variables and that's uncertainty, which means you're trying to control them subconsciously. And I was like, Oh my fucking God, like I get it. And it was like, everything from there was just like amazing and beautiful. And I was asking questions and I understood the universe and I understood like, finally understood like reincarnation and all of that stuff. And I was like, Oh, now I get it. And like, from that moment on, it was like my entire life changed. And you know, now I, you know, control problems still pops up, but I can identify it and be like, okay, you take the lead here. Mm. I don't need to be here. So you have the awareness around when you are 
you know, overstepping yourself with the control. 100%. Because I think that's uh, such an interesting thing, especially, you know, you're running a multi-million dollar business. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you find balance within like being engaged, trying to, you know, uh, take action and, and do what you can mm-hmm. as much as possible, but then also like surrender because the only thing that is certain is uncertainty. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure that's still a constant process that we have to go through. It always pops in my head. Like it's still like you could do this better in some aspects, but I think more than anything else, I've hired people that I really trust. Mm. Um, and that's a big aspect of it. When we went and did mushrooms the other day, um, so I hired my best friend Dean to be the director of sales on my team. Dean's amazing. And he's, yeah, he's amazing. <laughs> awesome person. And it didn't, it didn't logically make sense, but I've, I've learned to go with my gut feeling. And I was like, this feels right. You know, he runs a super successful real estate business. He's got, you know, 40 people under him, but I brought it up to him after like months of just like, I should ask him, I should ask him, I should ask him. And I was like, Hey, I've got this feeling I should ask you. It doesn't make any sense to me logically, but I get asked and I asked him do you want to be like my director of sales for this, this whole thing that I'm building? And he's like, yeah, I do. Like, this is exactly what I want to do. And so brought him on and then we did mushrooms last week and, uh, two weeks ago. And I realized the reason why I brought him on subconsciously, not even consciously understanding this is because he's the only person that I can trust to be fully in control of that side of my business. And I was like, Oh, I get it. Cause I wouldn't trust anybody else to fully run that mm. because I know that I could run the shit out of it. And so, um, so basically it's like the, the, the thing that I've been able to do and how, you know, plant medicine has helped me build my business is I have a director of marketing who's got people under them and he crushed like his zone of genius is marketing. I have a director of social media. Her zone of genius is social media and fonts and colors and making things look right. And, you know, and what people like, she's got people under her. I've got a director of videography and we've got script writers and we've got editors and actors and she, they're, everybody's under her. So I don't have to deal with any of those people. You know, we get on calls, but she's in charge of everything. Um, I have a director of sales, which is Dean and everybody's under him. So, um, my zone of genius, like what I feel I'm best at in the world is taking extremely complex topics of like how the brain works, how people psychology, all that works Mm -hmm. and making it easy for anybody to understand. Like that's, I've been told many times. So creating content is like my zone of genius. Like that's what I found. So I'm trying to put people in place that are very good at their jobs. They might not be the best in the world, but they're very good at their jobs so that it allows me to have as much time as possible to stay in my zone of genius. So you can let go and trust Right. In that. Because if I can stay in my zone of genius the majority of the day and check in with them throughout the day and just make sure, you know, the plates are still mm. spinning and not falling off, um, I don't have to worry about it and I can just focus on my one thing. Mm. And it's, I don't think I would have had the awareness to do that had I not done plant medicine. Because you were running all of these before? Yeah. Like when you first started your business, you were taking everything. You're running everything. Yeah. I mean, it's very, it's like solo entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Had the podcast. I had, you know, I was doing all the sales side of it. I was literally, it was, I was the, the face of it mm. and I was every single aspect of it behind it. And so if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Yeah. And that's an old yeah. adage. A hundred percent. And that's, that's, can I, can I do certain aspects of sales better than Dean? Sure. Can he do a be- certain aspects better than me? For sure. And so it's like just knowing that, um, and even not even speaking of Dean, but just, just when somebody, 
I work with a lot of business owners and their hardest thing to do is delegation. Mm-hmm. And the reason why is because they think they can do everything better than somebody else. But even if you only have somebody that's doing 80% of the capacity that you can, you know, if you bring two people on to do two things you normally do and they're at 80% of the capacity that you are, and you're at hundred percent of the other thing that your zone of genius is, you're still at hundred percent with two people at 80%. So instead of you at hundred percent, you now have literally what is that? 260% if you add it up, right? So you have you at 102 people at, at 80%. Your business is running two point times more, 2.6 times more efficiently than if it was just you by yourself. Yeah. So you've got to just learn to give up control knowing that you can do certain things better than other people. Um, but bringing on the people who, who are most in alignment, mm. you know, like we fired somebody today because they weren't in alignment this morning. You know, we had to, we, wow. we had to get rid of somebody, um, which sucks, but it was just like, when you think about the alignment of the business and the energy that they brought into it, love the person. He's amazing. He's a great human. Nothing against him. No hard feelings. We had a great like send off call, but the energy that he brought was not the energy of our business. We, we came to find out, you know, and yeah. it's better to nip it in the butt now because if he's not bringing in his full 100%, then there's probably something he could be doing. You know, it's like staying in a relationship for longer. It's like not having those out. difficult conversations. Yeah. It's like, you know, and it's yeah, like, yeah. you know, if, if you're in a relationship with somebody and you know that it's not going right, yeah, it's better to let them go so that they can get into a relationship mm-hmm. with who is right. Same thing for, you know, a job, you know, if it's not going hundred percent the way that it should, then we have to let you go so that you can yeah. find what you are actually supposed to be doing. It creates space for you guys. And then it creates space for them right. to like, to find their zone of genius. Right. Now, since you've been able to delegate work and, and it really, it seems as if you went from being fully in the masculine polarity where you're controlling everything, you're running everything, you're doing everything to then shifting gears. And, you know, especially people that are highly masculine have a hard time asking for help or Mm -hmm. putting other people in positions. Mm -hmm. It seems like you've been able to, um, find balance within the feminine polarity Mm -hmm. as well too, and let go relax. And that allows you to step into that feminine polarity, not male or female, but the, um, creative receptive. Mm -hmm. And since then, have you seen a difference like in your content and like in the things that you've been able to create? For sure. So I've seen a difference in my content, but I've also seen a difference in every aspect of the things I let go of. So, you know, I'll give you an example of, uh, you know, I was on every single sales phone call that we had. We have a call every Monday, Monday through Friday in the morning. Mm. I was on every one of them for a few months, the first few months. And then I didn't had the conversation. I was like, Hey, I feel like I need to like, let you take it more. Like it needs to be more of like mm. your baby versus ours, like just the sales side of it. Um, that Monday was the very first Monday that I stepped away and we had the biggest day we've ever had. And I was like, that's the universe telling me I need to get the fuck out of the way. <laughs> like, yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I was like, that's the universe showing me that that's like, where I'm not doing this anymore. Like, that's your thing. Like, mm. and so I try to look for signs like that, whether it's synchronicity, whether it's me making it up in my head, it, it allows me to then step away. And, you know, then when they call me cause they need help, um, you know, or they send a, a message into Slack and they're like, Hey, is anybody available? I've got a question. I was jumping in and being that person like, Oh, let me fix it. Right. Like we all want to be important. Let me fix it. I'll come in and help you all that stuff. And now I'm like, you know, ask Dean if he's available. He's, he's your guy, yeah. you know? Um, so 
yeah, that's, that's helped where it's the, the whole process has gotten better. But then because of the fact that I know I'm not going to be helping them, I mean, I still help them at certain points, but I'm not their main point of contact. He is, he helps them with stuff. If they're you know needing help on a sale, they're needing help after a sale, they got questions, whatever it is, maybe they have a no sale and they go and talk to him and they don't reach out to me. It then allows me to have more time for my freedom. And the interesting thing about what I do is that a lot of the stuff that I do doesn't actually look like work because it's work on myself, but work on my, because of what I do, because I run all personal development, all, all that stuff, work on myself turns into me being able to teach what's working for me. Cause Mm. I, I'm like hundred percent the guinea pig. I won't tell anybody anything until I know a path that I feel works really well. And that has worked for me in my life. And then also people who I've helped. So it's, uh, it helps me because I have more space to work on myself, which then allows me to work on content. Yeah. You're able to bring more value to the people that you are coaching Mm -hmm. because you've been there Mm -hmm. and you've gone through it. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, through those beginning stages of your business, when you were running, when you were running it completely yourself, is there anything that you would have like, wish you would have known in the beginning or wish you would have done differently or yeah, what I just told you before I started, which is upwork.com. Upwork.com. <laughs> yeah. So, so being able to, number one, being able to delegate certain yeah, things, yeah. right? Um, like sooner? Yes. Yeah, or did that, did that time uh, where you were running all of it, um, I mean, did that play like a purpose or did, did you run your, did you run yourself, you know, did you spread yourself too thin or did you hit sure. a breaking point or, Oh, I, I screwed it all up and you have to, yeah. I think you have to screw it up in order to, to get better at it, you know? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, I mean, Lauren and I were, she was with me before I started the business, you mm. know, and I was still working for a company. And, uh, so she's seen the whole transition and there was times when the business first started and she's like, Hey, we don't have any time together. Right. So I had yeah. to learn free time. I read mm. uh, the book, um, The One Thing by Gary Keller, who's uh, Gary Keller and Jip Hopson. Gary Keller's a you know billionaire. He runs Keller Williams, the largest oh, shit, real yeah. estate company in the world. And one of the things that he says, and I still remember because it like hit me like a ton of bricks, is to schedule free time, which I had never done because my, my type A personality is if I'm not where I want to be, I don't deserve free time. But then mm. I also realized that with my type A personality, my, my goals are like the horizon. Like I'll never catch them. They'll always get further away the closer that I get. Cause I always keep pushing myself. Yeah. So then that means I never have free time ever. You're not even able to enjoy it. No. And exactly. And so we think, you know, and then you enjoy life more because you can step away from the business, but then also you enjoy the business more when you step back into it. Cause you've been, it's like distance, make the heart grow fonder a little bit, you know? And that's where you're creating the business for in the beginning, hundred percent for uh, exactly. And that's what most people don't realize. <laughs> that's what, and that's what, that's the thing that I teach people is like we, when one of the parts of the, one of the, the, the courses I have is, is the spiritual vision and life vision. Like I want people to, I know so many people that are super successful. They got so much damn money, but they just resent their business because most people build a business to have more freedom. Then they start making money and they get addicted to that feeling mm. and their business takes up all of their freedom. And now they want to get out of their business to get more freedom, which is the thing that they got into their business for. And so what I always tell people is when you know what your spiritual vision, your life vision is and what that looks like is it should be like your an arm of you, like your business should be part of you. Like it's, it's so in line with why you're here and mm. that it doesn't feel like work for you. So like I have to schedule free time because I literally love what I do. Like I could, you could just do continue it all day long, work. all damn day long. I could, yeah. but 
And so I love it. But at the same time, I do want to experience life outside of it, which is what's great about being in Sedona. You know, it starts to get cooler and we're like, all right, it's five o'clock time to go on a hike. Like we got to go. Cause it's sun can't stop mm-hmm. the sunset. Yeah. You can't stop the natural rhythms yeah. of life. No. And so I think that that's, that's, that's the, the thing that helped me out the most is being able to delegate certain aspects of stuff, but then yeah. also like for people that are out there that are, are business owners, I always ask myself, uh, and I tell all the people that I coach this, are you doing a thousand dollar per hour work? Or are you doing $10 per hour work? Because if you're not doing a thousand dollar per hour work every day and you're doing some 10, like I always tell people like take a sheet of paper and write down all of the stuff you do all day, every single day, all the little teeny tiny things. And if it's not thousand dollar per hour work all the way down, circle things that are all ten dollar per hour work, and see if you can outsource that to somebody mm. that you know you could pay five dollars an hour in the Philippines. They are excited to work for you. They're super appreciative. That's a lot of money to them, but that extra two, three, four, five hours a day that you give to somebody else, you can now work on building the super important aspects of your business. Mm. So, have you seen any like? any like drop in quality when you do outsource that sort of work, like through Upwork well, or, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not going to be the same it is, way. It's, it's not, you're not always going to find the best person right away. Yeah. You know? Um, but you know, I like to go put people through a little bit of tests to see if they can, they can kind of work with me and handle it. The girl that we have now, she's amazing. So like, for instance, <clears throat> you know, we did a, <clears throat> excuse me, inside of our, our challenge or inside of our, our, our course that we have, we did a 14 day challenge where people are required to, you know, push themselves. They have all these pillars they have to hit each day for 14 days straight. And, um, they have to check in every morning with what we call look back, look forward, look back on how yesterday went, look forward to what you got scheduled today, every single day. And they have to check in. And in order to hold them accountable, we have Abby who lives over in the Philippines and she basically just has a Google spreadsheet and keeps every single person's all, you know, there's like 54 people that, that participate in it, 54 people's names and Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and if they checked in every single day. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's something that I could do, but I don't want to do that. And that would take yeah. a lot of time out of my day and there's other stuff that I could be doing. So it's better to pay her. She like sends me messages. She's like, thank you so much for letting me work today. Like, and so she's appreciative mm-hmm. of it because that's you know amazing. it's a lot more to them. And mm-hmm. so it feels good because it frees up time for me. But at the same time, it feels good because of the fact that you're supporting someone else, supporting someone else that, that doesn't have money right now, you know? So, um, I always recommend outsourcing if there's a possibility, you know, and Upwork makes it super easy to do it. It sounds like I'm sponsored by them, but I'm not, they should sponsor (laughs) me, David. But, uh, but there's some really good people that you can find through Mm -hmm. there. Sometimes you find someone doesn't work, you got to get rid of them quick and then you just bring another person in, you know, figure it out. So right now, if you were to like, if you were to start all over, mm-hmm. like with your business, what would be the top three things that you would focus on? So it's a good question. The first thing that I would have done is I would, if, if we're talking specifically, or you would do now. Business, Cause I mean, yeah. I feel like the world is always changing. So yeah. the, the first thing that I would do is if I was starting all over again, is I would focus on trying to get good at social media. Um, hmm. social media is not going away. Yeah. In any, any capacity. And so it took me about a year, about a year to get into social media. I was hardcore into podcasting first mm. and then I got into social media. So I would get into social media and figure out whatever platform, like, so first off I'd ask myself, I guess the first question, the first thing that I would do is I'd figure out my avatar, like my perfect client, right? So what is my perfect client? What I just did that the other day. That yeah. was absolutely so helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Cause then, he, cause then what you do is you say, okay, 
this person and you name the person. So it's like, John, he's 34 years old, this, 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 this. And you, you, you literally like name the person and you figure out what problem you solve for them. And so that'd be the first thing that I would figure out. And then the second thing I would figure out is where is John hanging out on the internet? Cause there's, everyone's hanging out on the internet somewhere. You know, it's mm. kind of like what bar are they, they going to on Saturday night? Yeah, where's you know, the place that they're inhabiting on the internet? They're always there. So there's somewhere, whether it's LinkedIn or Instagram or Facebook or TikTok or whatever it is that people want to hang out, YouTube. And I would figure out where my perfect client is. So number, step number one, you know, I would literally figure out who my perfect client is. Step number two, I'd figure out where on the internet they're hanging out. And step number three, I would master whatever that that is. Like if it's Instagram, I'm going to watch every single video that I possibly can on Instagram. I'm going to pay somebody to teach me Instagram. I'm going to do whatever I can to learn that Mm -hmm. one place. And then if I were to put a step four is I would master a sales process of once they start following me, how to get them into becoming a client. Mm. Because it's that simple. Like the people that we work with, like what we do is is pretty much the, the hardest part of what they do is the hardest part of any business owner, right? We start working with people, they're not making the money that they want, that they want to make. The reason why they're not making the money that they want to make because they don't have the prospects and the leads coming in that they want. The reason why they don't have the prospects and leads coming in that they want is because they don't have a, uh, a following that they've built. And the, the thing outside of that, so it's like literally, if you have a following and you have a, a process to get them in, which is the, 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 the fourth thing I was going to say that's outside of it is the sales process, like so the actual funnel. step-by-step funnel of how they're going to go in. Yeah. So how do I get people to follow me? So to fix this issue for them, and this is any business, this is going to be a coffee shop. Like we work specifically with coaches and realtors, but this could be a coffee shop. This could be a yoga studio. Like you can hyper-localize these as well. Every business wants to make more money. The reason why they don't have, make more, enough, have enough money is because they don't have enough prospects. And the reason why they don't have prospects is because they don't know how to get them in. You know, so if you can fix the marketing, to get them in. Then you have them walk in the door. Now you have to fix the sales process. And if you can fix the sales process, your business will always have money. Hmm. It's not hard. Like business is not a hard thing to understand. It's very cut and dry, but people put emotions in there and then they put procrastination Hmm. and they put self doubt into it. It's like, if you just look at your business from like, I need to work on this part, this part, and this part. And the the three aspects that we always talk about is the mindset of business owners, the most important part, because if your business that was going to be my next question. Yeah, if your business, <laughs> if your mindset's all screwed up, your business isn't going to do well. So it's like business is the foundation of it. The second part of it is the marketing, getting people into your doors, whether it's a physical door or whether it's an online door. You know, that could be your online store. It could be your following. They follow you. Mindset marketing. Once they're inside the door, the sales process. And if you have a sales process, then you can get money. And that's the mm-hmm. thing that. Like a lot of people resist sales and the psychology. Of, oh, I don't want to be high pressure and pushy. Your business is gonna. If you're on a solo entrepreneur, if you don't have sales and you're, you're screwed. Fail. Yeah. <laughs> like you've got to know sales. Yeah. And if you, you like and if you believe not? and if you actually believe in your product right. and have put the time in to figure out you know the value that you're adding to this yeah. person or the issue that you're that you're you're figuring out for this person, then you don't have to be pushy. Right, 100. You know, percent You should just be confident. And in usually the, it comes to self-worth, self-worth mm. issues is what it actually, and that's why Oof. mindset's such a big thing is because people don't want to be high pressure pushy because they actually don't truly believe in themselves or the product that they're selling yeah. behind everything. And that's the real issue behind it. Do you have any practices like to help self-worth or like, God, that's a hard one. That's, yeah. that's a hard, would, that's a hard I one. I know. Do some, do some psychedelics. That's, <laughs> about, that's about the best one. You yeah. Can do. You know, like you can meditate and you could try to journal and all that stuff. But if you just want to like 
blast it all out of the water as quick as possible and become very self-aware, do some psychedelics in a safe mm. place. Um, that's the best way to get to, to work on your self-worth. You know, I know a lot of people who have never done psychedelics before up until the past couple of years, good friends of mine that everybody's first off, everybody's got self-worth issues in some sort of, everybody some does. Yeah. You know, so it's, we all I've think got them, you've got them, we've all got them. There's just different, you know, different, uh, same shit, different toilet. That's basically what it is. Right. Absolutely. So it's like, we've all got some sort of self-worth issue. And when you do psychedelics, it seems to whatever that main thing is, you can't look away from it until you process it completely. Mm. And so until you accept yourself yeah. probably. Yeah. A hundred percent. You see yourself clearly. A hundred percent. You see your, the issues and the blockages that you have clearly mm-hmm. and you have to face that. And then once you face that, you're like, Oh shit, I like work through that. Yep. And then your self worth bar just go, your meter goes up a little bit. Yeah. And you start to, the good thing about them is that you relive old traumas that, uh, I'll give you a really great example. So one of my, one of my friends, um, he, he's in his forties and he's super successful dude. One of the nicest guys I know most connected person I know for sure. He knows everybody. Like if I ever want to get a hold of anybody, anything like that, mm-hmm. I reach out to him first. So he came over to my house and we were, we were talking about this thing. And I was like, man, like I always thought you're happy before. Like you seem happy. You seem lighter, everything. And he's like, I've been on this really like big self love kick. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. Like, tell me about that. That's interesting. He's like, well, he did some, some psychedelics and he came to realize that, um, he relived a memory he had forgotten about. And this is why I also deal with a lot of like childhood traumas and, you know, the way people work with the way they think about their parents, things that happen is because usually it's all associated Mm. that or something that happened before the age of, you know, six years old, before the age of seven. Um, And so he, this before, obviously the internet, Instagram, all of those things. When he was six, he had this memory that he went back to and his favorite thing in the world at six years old was marbles, like playing marbles Mm. with his friends, right? And when you play marbles... I don't know exactly how it works, but like you hit one of them outside of the, the circle. You got like different yours. shapes and stuff. And yeah. Like, yeah. But, but what it is is like, so sizes. I would get in and you'd get in, but then we'd hit each other's marbles. And the goal is to try to take as many of yours as possible. And like, I guess you have to get them outside of the circle. And once it is, that's not mm. mine. So he had this big, huge jar of marbles when he was six years old. Right. And when you're six, your world is small. Like it is like your four walls of your house and a couple of your friends in your neighborhood. Right. And mm. then your school. And his thing was like, his marbles were his life. Like that was his prized possession in life. Right. And, um, and so he, he had one other kid that was inside of his neighborhood that was better than him. He was better than everybody. So he was like the number two marble kid in the neighborhood. Right. And the one kid had like this big, beautiful, amazing marble. And so, uh, so they go in and they play this, they start playing this marble game and he really wants to get that marble. And the kid goes, I'll bet this marble. If you bet your entire jar of marbles. And he's like, all right, let's do it. He so wanted he, he wanted the big marble. He wanted the big marble, right? Because yeah. he had he had beaten everybody but this kid. So he bet the one marble, the big one, against the entire jar of marbles that he had. So they play the game. He loses. So Ooh. he loses his jar of marbles. He loses his entire world, basically, as you yeah, could think, his right? Full self worth. Everything is in that, right? Yeah, because yeah, he's won. That shows him he's the best. His self worth is inside yeah. of this jar. You know, figuratively, his bank it, account. It, it, no, just it is right. <laughs> so he gives him the marbles. And cries the whole way home, gets home, he's crying. Uh, his mom's like, what happened? Tells her the whole story. She's like, oh, that's not acceptable. Like, let's just go back to his house and see if we can get the marble. So him and his mom walk to the friend's house, explain the whole situation to the mom of this boy with the, that won all of his marbles. 
And she's like, is that true? He's like, yeah. She goes, well, give him back his marbles. So she gives him back his marbles. He goes back to his house He puts his marbles away and he never plays them again. And so he relives mm. this whole memory. It's traumatic. Through psychedelics. Yeah. And, tr- and that's the thing is like, if you listen to Gabor it's Mate. incredibly tra- traumatizing. Right. Yeah. And people yeah. think like, oh, well, my father didn't die or I wasn't molested or anything like yeah. that. You can't trauma measure is that. Trauma is trauma, right? Yeah. That, that's what Gabor Mate says is, you know, Dr. Gabor Mate is like trauma is trauma. You can't measure different yeah. levels of trauma. That was extremely traumatic to him and he didn't even realize it. So through the next 37 years of his life, whatever it is, that was like a flipping point of, I can't trust myself because mm. I can't trust my own decisions because clearly I just lost all of that. And I just then I lost had to all my, of my self-worth. Everything. And I had to go with my tail between my legs and it was given back to me. I had to go back and to I, mommy. It's all shameful, right? Yeah. Shame, 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 shame is the way they felt. So he learned that that was like the turning point for his life. There's mm. one event that doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal because, you know, at 30, 40 years old, you're like, oh, it's just a fucking set of marbles, whatever. But through those psychedelics, he's able to see how that flipped. And then from there, the lack of, of trust and self-love built on top of itself for 30-something years. And so he realized this, and then he had, to, he had to try to reverse this. And so what he did was he just had this intuition of every morning, I'm going to wake up, uh, you know, take a shower, and then right after the shower, I'm going to look myself in the mirror, completely naked, me, raw, real, authentic, who I am. I'm going to set a timer on my phone. I'm going to look myself in the eye and I'm going to say, I love you. I love you. I love you for five minutes straight. And what he realized is, is that as he was doing it, he would, he'd be like, good for a minute. And then it would start to resist and he'd feel something in his body, like fighting this. And it's, it's kind of physically start to come up, physically start to come up. And then memories started to come up and all of this stuff. And so he would like fight through. He's like, I set a fucking timer for five minutes. I got to do it for five minutes. He's like the happiest, lightest I've ever seen. And he was already before. And he's like, if you would have asked me, you know, nine months ago, do I love myself? I'd be like, hell yeah, absolutely. I do but I didn't realize that I didn't love and trust myself. And that mm. made me get into businesses with other people because I didn't trust myself to do it on my own. And then they ran it into the ground and it allowed me to get into relationships and all of these partnerships and everything in my life was built around. I don't fully trust myself. So I need someone else to come and save me just like my mom came and saved me. Mm. And so it's like, I wish I had, the, the magic pill for people to be like, well, I guess yeah. they kind of do. The magic pill is go do some psychedelics so that you become aware of these things. <laughs> but you'll still unravel. have to do the work. You got to do the like work. It's doing the work. And yeah. you can do the work through meditation or through, you know, all of these other modalities. But if you want a quick route to show you all the shit that yeah. you've accumulated through mm-hmm. your developmental stages, whether, you know, mostly through childhood, that's a quick, quick route. Yeah. You'll still, you know, even taking the psychedelics, you'll still have to, you know, um, go into it intentionally. And then afterwards you'll have to do the integration where, you know, where he's sitting in front of the mirror and saying, mm-hmm. I love you and, I lo-, and doing the process afterwards. But man, it is so amazing how these plants just provide such a clear mirror right. for us uh, to show us like where the blockages are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the resistance to it is because people's ego is afraid of being destroyed right? Like that's really what it is. Any resistance to a psychedelic in some sort of way is your ego. Yeah. Your ego's resistance to being destroyed because you're not going to die from these things. No, you're not. You're not, you know, and I don't do them that often. I do them, you know, once every few months basically. And I use yeah. them as, as like serious as you can use anything. I take them, yeah. try to take them as serious as anything I take in my life. But 
you're not going to die from any of them. You're not. And they've proven that yeah. you, the amount that you would have to take for any of these substances is beyond. Right. For sure. Yeah. You're not going to die from doing them, but your ego will die from it. Yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of like, have you ever seen the movie, um, Jim and Andy <clears throat> with Jim Carrey? I have not. No. Oh my God. You got to watch it. Everyone listening has to watch this movie. So Jim and Andy is a documentary, uh, that's based off of, uh, the movie that Jim Carrey did. Uh, that was the man on the moon where he played Andy Kaufman. Uh, have you seen mm. that? Okay. So Andy Kaufman was an actor in the seventies and eighties. Actually, I think it was the eighties. And he, um, he passed away. I think it's about 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It was a while ago, about 30 years ago, I think. And so, uh, Jim Carrey decided to become an, a method actor. And have you seen like this whole spiritual journey that Jim Carrey's on now? Yeah. Like how uh, different yeah. He is? This is how it He's started. Absolutely different. <clears throat> so this is how it started. Here's the thing. He played Jim. He played Andy Kaufman. And he was, he's a method actor, which means like he doesn't break character even when the camera stops. So he's Andy Kaufman for three months straight. So he like literally is him. He's him. He's him. Where it gets really fucking convoluted is Andy Kaufman also plays other characters. So he plays like Tony Clifton. So he's Jim Carrey becoming Andy Kaufman playing Tony Clifton. So he's deep into this whole process. But then when the camera stops, he continues to be these people who he's not truly right. Mm. Then when it gets even crazier is that he does it so well that his family, Andy Kaufman's family, starts doing like sessions talking with him. Like he had a closed door session with Andy Kaufman's daughter talking to her as like she wanted to talk to him as if it were a father because she had unresolved issues and trauma that she wanted to work through. And so he was her daughter. He was her father like through these sessions because it was the, the tr- they hadn't dealt with their trauma and he tried to help them through it. Mm. So when it stopped shooting and he had to go back to being Jim Carrey, he had this existential crisis of like, who the fuck am I? I don't know who I am. Like, oh I don't, he's like, what do I like to do? What are my hobbies? What offends me? What makes me happy? And what he realized was that Andy Kaufman and Jim Carrey were as equal to characters and he was just playing he didn't know who he Jim was. Carrey. He, he, he was, yeah, who he was, was just basically the program that he's become. So he mm-hmm. realized that he wasn't even Jim Carrey. He was the self that was behind Jim Carrey. And Jim Carrey was just a set of patterns and traits and habits he had developed over his entire lifetime. Mm-hmm. And so he like had this spiritual awakening of like, who the fuck am I? I'm none of that. And that's why if you see him when someone's interviewing him and he says stuff that seems real out there, like, you know, the lady's sitting and asking him questions about like, you know, uh, you know, you look really good. And he's like, yeah, I'm not actually even really here and neither are you. And she's like, what do you mean? And he's like, I don't know. I just, things are happening. And you know, I smell smells like, and she's like, everyone's like, Jim Carrey's gone crazy. No, he's literally like, he's He's gone back to the pure, purest version of himself. Right. And so it's like, and, and so when you start to do this work, you start to realize that that's your ego is the self that you've built. And mm. it starts to strip away all of yeah. those things that are not truly you. All and of the that's traumas, scary. the patterns, the habits. Because you don't know who you are without that. And one of the hardest things for a human to do is to not be able to identify with who they are. Like that's why there's a, mm. there's a thing called the law of consistency is that, you know, if I, you know, vote for a specific president and they end up being just a complete piece of shit. I still, in my mind as a human, will back that person up because I can't be inconsistent with who I was six months ago 
because then you have a crisis yeah. because I don't know who I am. I'm this person or I'm this person. Or that's even people in like religions or science right. that, that, you know, were baptized at a young age uh-huh. and they've basically spent, you know, 20 years of their life in this religion right. and they might've had some sort of, um, spiritual experience that shows them otherwise, like outside of this religion, they're still so trapped in that version of themselves mm-hmm. that they will fight to the death to like, even if it's driving them into the ground mm-hmm. 100%. or even like science nowadays, it's crazy that, um, you know, scientists will spend their whole life like proving this specific theory and, you know, then their, their theory has been proven wrong, like and 20 and they, they can't let go of it. Right. Yeah. They can't let go of it. And they they've, because they've spent their whole life identifying mm-hmm. with this specific thing that they thought that they proved right or, and yeah. It's not about the truth. It's about consistency. They want to stay consistent with what they've always had. And that's, why, that's what's so interesting about this whole thing with the, the, the coronavirus is that... There's been no consistency. There's been no consistency because it keeps shifting. Like they just came out the other day and said it doesn't matter if you really touch surfaces because it does, it's really hard to transfer. Yeah. But I know from hearing other scientists and doctors and stuff talk about it, they can't let that go. Because yeah, they, they have fixated themselves on that being the truth. Yeah, they've hammered and, themselves into place. Right, 100%. And they can't, you know, that's one of the things that, that's great about spiritual work is that you realize that the harder that you try to grasp onto something, the, mm. the, the more wiggly it becomes. And then you realize, like, whatever's true is also false. And whatever's false is also true. And it's like, you're just like, mm. all right, I don't know anything. I'm just going to release even caring anymore. And it's like... It's like Ramdas says, if you give up wanting to have control, you'll control everything. Mm. It's like you just have to just, it's one of those weird things is that everything, every deep spiritual truth ends up contradicting itself, but because it's not even really supposed to be understood and we can't understand it because we're not, we're just like talking monkeys. Like we're, we're, we're intelligent, but we're not anywhere near as intelligent to understand this whole game that's happening around us. You know, and it's kind of like, you know, um, another thing Ramdas says is he says uh, it, it really used to mess him up when he went over to India because he would see one spiritual teacher say one thing, and then see that see that exact same person say something else to somebody else, and he goes he he started like he's like well, who who are these like charlatans that I'm following? They're telling yeah. everybody different things, and the guy he walks up to the guy he's like I don't get it. Why are you telling this person one thing and this person the other? He goes well if you're walking on a path. And, you know, with somebody and you turn right and you start walking this way for a little while and they turn left and they start walking this way for a little while. All I have to do is tell you guys how to get back on path, but it's going to be two completely different directions. And so I have to give you two different pieces of advice to get you back to the path you're truly supposed to be on. And that's Mm. kind of like a lot of things that are hard for people to accept is that there is sometimes no specific universal truth for some things. There is no one specific path. There is no one magic pill. Mm -hmm. There is no one specific way to heal any sort of disease that you have going on. Man, that's, it reminds me of this concept in, um, I think it's a Japanese concept called Shoshin. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of that? Mm -hmm. It's called beginner's mindset. Mm -hmm. And the more that I can adopt that, the less my ego takes over because you have to have this be- it's it's basically the concept of beginner's mind mm-hmm. so every day you wake up in this position where you have the beginner's mindset where you know that you know nothing right and therefore since you know nothing then you can start to know something then right. you can learn something right then you can 
um, learn new patterns and, and uh, bring in new habits and, and uh, develop new ways instead of, you know, the opposite of that would be an ego mindset mm-hmm. where it's like, okay, I am the, uh, you know, I am this, um, I'm an alcoholic because I like to drink alcohol or, you know, whatever thing that you're identifying with. Right. Ooh, that was well, good. Go, go, <laughs> going to that though, I want to, I want to speak on that. There's, there's, you know, it's been interesting as I've grown this business because it's happened to grow really fast and everything I've ever wanted to do, I've kind of done. And, and I said, not saying that from like a, a, um, a narcissistic way, but then I've, I've grown a following, which is really an odd thing. Cause it really starts to test you a lot. Like I would say that I, I always tell people that the two biggest spiritual and personal development things I've ever done in my life was plant medicine. Number one, and number two, growing a following because you'll be tested like crazy. And if you're not trying to come from a place of humility, humility of, I don't know anything, yeah. um, that shit can get to your head real quick. Yeah. Money can get to your head and a following can get to your head really quick. And, um, it, it makes me understand. I think it was Marcus Aurelius. Is it Marcus Aurelius? Or I think it was, um, I think it was Marcus Aurelius, but it was Caesar Marcus Aurelius. One of those, those like big name, um, Romans back in the day had somebody that would follow him around all day and every once in a while say, you're just a man, you're just a man to, to keep them humble and down. And so, you know, when people are like, people are like, Oh yeah, like, you know, I use this and it, and it worked. I'm like, cool. That's, you know, that's great. But don't forget, like you're the person put the work in. I was just the person talking. Like I, I always say those things, um, not to deflect like me taking, you know, make it feeling good about helping somebody, but mm-hmm. to, to, uh, to stay humble in everything yeah. that I do. Um, because I think that, that it goes back to, I don't know anything. And when I come from a place of, I don't know anything, I can then learn something. And I saw, like I saw a, a, a graph the other day on Instagram and it was, you know, those big old pie graphs and it was a little teeny tiny sliver and it said shit that you know. And then oh, the yeah. other one that was next to it, it says, says shit that you don't know, shit you know, you don't know. And then there's like 99% of the rest of the graph is open. It says, shit you don't know that you don't know. And it's like, that's how the world is where it's like, I don't know anything. And when I come from a place of, I don't know anything, it's fun because now I can just go and learn stuff all day. Just fun that way. And most things we don't even know that we're not aware of it, Mm -hmm. which is such a weird, like, (laughs) uh, what we're like right now moving forward. What are you like mostly interested in learning? Is there anything specific right now that you're like your attention is on or? Um, yeah, for me, like? it's like, it's like spiritual growth more than anything else. So I've read, I mean, I got into personal growth at 19 years old, you know, I'm 34 mm. now. So it's been 15 years of like hardcore obsessed with personal growth, been obsessed with improving myself. And, um, I don't want to say I've mastered cause I definitely have not, but I have a very good awareness and understanding of how I work and also how other people work as well and mm. being able to help them through that process. And it's kind of like, like Dr. Joe Dispenza says, like when you're in the jar, you can't read the label. And that's like, you're in the jar of your own head and you can take yourself out of your own head and look at your life, look at the, the, the label of the box that you're in. And you can say, Oh, here's what I need to improve. Here's what I need to work out. I've been doing that for a really long time. Well, then I did ayahuasca one time and I realized there's another fucking label I need to read. (laughs) It's like, (laughs) you're in a jar within a jar within a jar, another jar. And it's like the, so the, 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 for me, it was like the personal development one. I get it really well and I'm still working on that and improving it. 
But now the next thing for me is I have another jar that I've just realized a couple years ago that I need to get out of, which is the, you know, the, the spiritual one. So for me, you know, I, I was asked the question the other day, like, why don't you talk more about like the spirituality and all of that stuff and, you know, the work that you're doing, which I do kind of dance around it and talk about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. And it goes back to what I was saying earlier. I don't teach anything until I feel like I've got a full grasp of how it's mm. helped me and I can help other people with it. I won't just meditate one time and then preach about how people need to meditate. Like I want to fully be the guinea pig and understand something before I teach it to other people. Mm. And so for me, it's like I'm on this path of spiritual development. You know, I, I talked to the good friend of mine, um, Jay, and his guru um, is over in India. And uh, I've met his guru before, super nice guy. And I've come to a realization, like, I want to learn from one person for an extended period of time. And so in January, hopefully if everything's open in January, yeah. I'm going to go to January for a month and just work spiritual practice. I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go to India in January. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go to India for a month in January to uh, just work on spiritual practice, try to learn from mm. one person. Because I feel like at this point, I'm kind of picking from all of these different people all over the place. Yeah. And so for me, it's like, that's the thing that I'm hardcore. I mean, I've, I discovered Ram Dass, mm. like, and within two months, I went through 175 of his podcast episodes. Dude, like, his podcasts are so insane. Good. I so, listened to him, you know, years ago, but yeah. I'm re-going through them. Yeah. Guys continue. And so that's it, man. I'm just, I'm just on that journey and, and it's, it's just fun. Like I have a, a tattoo on my wrist, which is that's the Roman numeral for 10,000. Cause I believe in the 10,000 hour rule. It takes 10,000 hours to master anything, but with personal and spiritual self-development, I think that's a lifetime thing. It doesn't so stop. I'm just, it's, it's like we were talking <laughs> about the other day when we did, when we, we were, we were on journey, you know, it was like, once you, you're like an ever unfolding onion. Like once you unfold another yeah. part of you, there's still another part. And that's forever until the day you die. And for some people, like that causes a lot of anxiety. For me, it's like, that's amazing. Like that's amazing. I want to go on that journey of like unraveling and unraveling and unraveling and knowing that. You're never, never going to get to the destination. Never. It's a continuing journey. And there's no attachment to the destination. The only attachment is to trying to get better by learning more yeah. about myself. It's like, what journey do you want to go on next? Right. It's and like, so it's like one of those books, you know, that where you can pick your own <laughs> journey, you know, I'm just going to, I think that I, I feel extremely blessed and lucky because I feel like I've been able to achieve pretty much everything that I've wanted to achieve by the age of 34 and be able to, it's kind of like I woke up and I was like, Oh, like I've built everything. Like I don't need anything. Mm. And I've put the right people in place that allow me to have more time to myself. It's like, oh fuck, this spiritual journey is what I'm supposed to work on right now. Yeah. You like created that space. You yeah. did the business thing. Right. You ran it yourself. You know, in the beginning of the podcast, we talked about how you put these people in place. Mm-hmm. And now you have the space to, you know, what do what you like to do, which is do the self-work, mm-hmm. do this, do the the develop the personal development, the mindset right. development, the um, business development all of those things. And now it's like, okay, spiritual development is the next, the next thing. And then, you know, after this journey, I'm sure you'll come back with a ton of stuff that you're going to be able to, you know, teach and it's going to teach, turn into a lesson or something like that. You know, it's just, I can't wait. I can't wait to see what unfolds from that, man. Yeah, man. But this was such a pleasure dropping in with you, brother. For sure. uh, Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming on and, um, you know, uh, safe travels. I know you're leaving Sedona soon, so I'll come out to Austin and and we'll connect out there. You'll be back. I'll be back. You'll be back for sure. All right. Peace out.